I knew a guy uh, who would, um, th uh, they would have to dispose of the Christmas tree every year, of course, because, you know, if you get a real tree, it's like a, mm -hmm. it's a whole ass pine tree in your living room. Yes. Um, and this was a, this was back in like high school. Uh, and what, what his family would do apparently is they would like take the tree to the point uh, in one of the big fire pits and they would just <laughs> light it up and the whole thing would go up really fast but like also really efficiently and then they would clear out before the sirens arrived <laughs> because oh, it God. would basically be like a That's like a cedar explosion hilarious <laughs> it's so funny yeah i know right i can't one of the most wholesome people i know too think, it's just like just... my christmas celebration is we burn the tree let's just have a big old do not try this at home warning on that story and mark it as hilarious <laughs> everybody and welcome to another episode of the overly sarcastic podcast i am blue and i'm joined by red greetings mortals hello and indigo uh, she's am not I, gracing us I with her presence today ah. i guess you could i yeah. i wanted to extend the the courtesy for for our last episode of the year <laughs> speak spirit if you are here give us a sign <gasps> okay uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what a messy bit today uh to be fair, we have been at this for a while, and as you mentioned, this is the last podcast of the year. We're allowed to be a little bit... Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> how many ways can we make excuses for the fact that we're tired? Because we're getting better at this because, like, we have so much practice, but then also we try less hard, mm. so we're worse at it. <laughs> and I don't know which one of those, like countervailing forces will will end up winning the day <laughs> hey man performers are always doing a better job when they're not stressed out about it so like arguably, that is fair i think we're trending upwards you know like early on when we're like oh, hello we've never done this before please be nice and now it's like what's up fuckers <laughs> <laughs> how's it going bro <laughs> get ready to listen to us talk some nonsense about the last two videos that we had on the channel <laughs> <laughs> You know uh, why yeah, you're no. here. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we had um, a trope talk and a history summarized, uh, both interestingly in the vein of mysterious ancient evils. Yeah. Uh, which uh, again, we've we've had a lot of like weirdly not um, what's the word I'm looking for? Synergized. Uh, synergized video topics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lately, the past few weeks and months. So let's yeah. let's start with uh, with the ancient super weapons trope talk because that yeah. was just like the the ghibli fest <laughs> yeah i mean you know sometimes when i'm just like brainstorming trope talk ideas what it really boils down to is what do i really want to just like gush about for a while what do i want to talk about how cool it is um yeah <laughs> i've gotten better at this but there were some early trope talks that were really built around a single example of whatever i'd been watching that week uh but yeah this one it, uh it was really tapping into one of my my oldest and favoritest tropes uh just because you know i i had exposure to classic ghibli movies from a very young age on account of how uh, my mom was really into them and she was like this is appropriate for a child to view <laughs> which is why uh Naushika gave me a lifelong mistrust and hatred of mushrooms um mm. but yeah it's it's just such a fun concept i just I mean, you know, we have a lot of ancient civilizations in our real world, but none of them were really higher tech than we are. Yeah. Uh, and, like, we'll get there, you know. When when our civilization crumbles and people are picking through the wreckage and finding lithium-ion batteries, they'll be like, huh, wonder what these are for. <laughs> but, like, right now we don't have that, and it's kind of a bummer almost. It's like, you know, we go digging and we find cool stuff, sometimes more advanced than we were expecting, but it's never, you know lasers <laughs> it's never lasers but like the romans and the minoans had like heated floors because they ran like ovens underneath the houses yeah we don't cool. have that well we that's have, true like, hvac but like we don't have heated floors like the whole thing Some is like oh do. man marble floors are always so cold to step on no they're gently warmed for your convenience <laughs> like we we are living in the stone age compared to some of these people when it comes to urban infrastructure well yeah but they didn't have holograms or touch screens or no. whatever Admittedly, we don't have holograms really either but the point is you know what i mean like it, it yeah. would be cool if there was an yeah. ancient wrecked civilization no, that had reached a point that was like more than what we got and of course you know you can't measure civilization progress on a linear scale obviously not even technological mm. progress it, it's it's more like a branching web and you know like people have realized in the last few years that like roman concrete formulations were very very impressive because they used salt water in the formula and like we didn't figure that out for ages 
Uh, yeah, it was it was a few things. One is is uh, the formula that they used called for salt water, and when they were building structures that were supposed to go underwater, like like ports and stuff, uh, they mixed in a type of volcanic pumice, which when it comes into contact with just the ambient salt water that you're building it in, it creates a mineral that I can't remember the word, but like tablaramite or some whatever, mm-hmm. but it it crystallizes and it petrifies the concrete, turning it from like kind of a, 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 a gloopy mass of, of rocks kind of glued together into literally one solid stone. And that is so much better for like water applications than Portland cement that, that, that we use for our stuff nowadays. So right. like that, like our concretes like break after 10 years especially in water, but like the Roman way that they built it is is actually significantly better than the one that we use for right. that specific application. So, yeah, so like yeah. something like that, you know, you, you can't measure technological advancement on a linear scale because it's like, well, sure, yeah. we've got, you know, WMDs and like, you know, touchscreens and stuff, but we didn't have that fancy saltwater concrete. So, hey, you know, you know, you win some, yeah. you lose some. But yeah, exactly. the, the, the trope of the ancient super weapon is tapping into this this concept of like, this sort of what if this, and I think it's a very common desire just in in writers and audiences, as audiences and and as just people living in the world, we want that world to be exciting and interesting. And you know, so much of like the the pulp adventure genre from like you know the twentieth century was just like wanting to go out into the world and finding incredible stuff. And, you know, the age of exploration for all its many, many colonialist issues was coming from a genuine place of wanting to explore and see the world and find cool stuff in it. Um, and, you know, that was also a huge motivator of, of like the space age. We wanted to go out into space and find cool stuff. And part Before of the, reason, the Soviets did. <laughs> yeah, that too. Also, it was about owning the Russians. But the point is like some of that, some of that's why a lot of that space exploration, like it, it, we had a big push and we put a bunch of satellites up and we put up the ISS and now it's kind of like, well, you know, turns out space is really, really big and there's not much stuff in it that we can get to <laughs> before we die of old age at our current transport speeds, which is why, you know, SpecFic and Sci-Fi always invent some method of interstellar travel that doesn't have to, you know, be subject to light speed limitations because it's like, oh, the nearest potentially habitable planet we would never get to ever so, you know, oh, we invent like a warp drive or like a stargate or something like that to, to shorten the distance, to make it feel more accessible. And we also put, you know, aliens and, and ancient megastructures yeah. and, and ring worlds and Dyson spheres out there because that makes it feel more exciting. Because it, it's kind of sad to look out at this vast explorable expanse and be like, oh, there's really nothing out there that we can interact with in a meaningful way. Which is why the pulp thick adventure thing of like you go out and you find like a lost city in the jungle or Atlantis or you know a lost civilization that you can become the god emperor of because pulps are kind of garbage. Let's we forget <laughs> it was all coming from a very colonialist place and and it's baked into the genre. But that fundamental underpinning, that desire to live in a big exciting world, that's a big part of it. And the ancient superweapon is almost like this, this like crystallized nugget at the center of it, because we want to live in a big, exciting world that has been big and exciting for a long time. And, and the idea of living on the, the accumulated strata of other civilizations is just really exciting because it leads to all kinds of fun concepts that we can't really do in real life. It's like we find ruins, you know, we find very exciting ruins. But they don't tend to have robots in them, you yeah. know. There, there is one example that I that I want to touch on. That uh, given how we we structure videos and which ones are made weeks in advance versus months in advance, mm. uh, a fun example from recently is Zelda, because in Breath of yeah. the Wild, the entire impetus of the game is four giant ancient super weapons in the form of the divine beasts that basically undergo a similar plot where you know it's the whole thing is like oh you know the super weapon so dangerous whatever and oh you know the bad guy wants their hands on it but it's the continuation of and then after the bad guy got their hands on the ancient super weapon and did destroy the world (laughs) where do we go from here which is really interesting because it 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 draws in a very you know familiar trope for all the reasons that you explained in the trope talk but it it takes it one step beyond and then it's like okay now this is where we put in the player now you get to go and explore and see and play around in all those strata so Mm -hmm. It's a really great world to explore 
in part because of how they they leverage the like maximum effectiveness of that trope yeah. to to create something really really cool and very very mysterious not to just retread the same stuff we talked about before but, no, but you know it's it's a very good example of it yeah it's a connection uh that i didn't draw in ancient super weapons because like you pointed out i i'd worked on ancient super weapons and scheduled it a while back and then we recorded the detailed diatribe i think the same week we uploaded it which is pretty rare for us but it is one of the big strengths of detailed diatribe as a yeah <laughs> but um so, you know, a lot of people in the comments were like, yo, what about the Divine Beast? And it's like, yes, good. The Divine Beasts are excellent examples. In fact, so are the Guardians. So are all of the robots. Uh, the, the Zelda universe has a lot of implied ancient super weapons. And, like, this is a universe with Ganon in it. So he tends to sort of eclipse most of the other stuff because he's sort of, like, the big head ancient evil running around. But, like, yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of, as we mentioned, very eldritch stuff in there. And it's all kind of tied together obviously the go-to examples i mostly used were uh two of the early uh ghibli movies uh naushika mm-hmm. of the valley of the wind which is i think technically the first ghibli movie because that animation studio had, had worked on other stuff but they hadn't like consolidated into studio ghibli before then um and uh castle in the sky uh also known as Laputa, which they changed for some dub releases because it sounds a little bit like a swear word in Spanish. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It sounds exactly like a swear word in Spanish. But uh, they're both sort of two very differently toned ancient superweapons because in Naushika, the ancient superweapons are the god warriors, which are walking nuclear weapons. They they carry around big glowing fuel rods and they poison the land and it causes the growth of this giant toxic mushroom forest very slowly filtering all the poison out of the planet, which is pretty bleak um <laughs> early studio ghibli was a little bleak uh and then laputa castle in the sky is uh is more whimsical and a little more pulpy and that it's like we're trying to find this this magical lost city in the sky this magical flying city and we've got flying machines and it's it's also this kind of whimsical adventure with these two kids and these bad guys and this blimp and it's a great movie probably one of the best everybody should watch it um and uh, also, it, it fires a big nuclear weapon space laser because <laughs> Studio Ghibli has one mode, and that mode is the horrors of war are bad, kids, uh, <laughs> which is A-OK by me. But, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's always fun for me to talk about. I love those movies. I love what they stand for. The, the ancient superweapon trope is an absolute blast, and a big part of that is because it implies this sort of eldritch, ancient complication that makes the world we live in feel so much more interesting with the downside that almost all ancient superweapons are entirely fictional, and, like, what was a superweapon a thousand years ago nowadays is like, wow, you synthesized bronze. Good work, kids. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of actual ancient eldritch weirdness, you had a video about that. Yes, I did. So uh, in my new crusade to go through the entire history of, uh, of pre-classical, classical, and post-classical Greece, now that I finished my Rome series last mm. year, uh, I am going through and starting from the very start and working my way forward, beginning with uh, the history of the Minoans, the first, depending on your definition, advanced civilization uh, on Europe. Yeah. Because, you know, ancient Middle East, ancient Near East, uh, ancient North Africa was loaded with crazy cool civilizations, but it took a while for that whole Bronze Age dealio to kind of filter out a little bit west onto the uh, European side of things. And the Minoans were the first ones to do that, mm. uh, in part because they were essentially just a late and very far northwest addition to the, like, main Bronze Age world. It's like, <laughs> oh, we see all the stuff that Egypt and Mesopotamia is doing. Let's do that on this remote island that no one is using. Cool. Uh, but it, it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on with the Minoans on a historical level because we have so much of their stuff. They were very artistic culture. They oh, they yeah. produced so much except for writing. Um, <laughs> and we have like their tax records and their like inventory, <laughs> but we don't have any indication of any literature from them. Oh, well, we couldn't read it anyway, even if we did. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's cool to try and puzzle out what's going on with a civilization this expressive but this silent because we have all these beautiful pieces of artwork and statues and frescoes and whatever but without anything from them explaining themselves all it is is just beautiful objects that we can only guess at which is really really cool and really really disorienting because yeah. we're used to at least having something 
to latch onto. Like even the Mykonaeans who are, you know, right next door, only a little bit later and, and a little contemporaneous too. We have a lot more to go on with them because they spoke an early form of Greek. We can actually read it. So we have context for a lot of the things that we find over there. Whereas the Minoans is just, we're completely starting from scratch. So it's yeah. really interesting. And it's, I, as I recall, it's like, because obviously Linear A and Linear B use the same symbols, but yeah. we don't know what language Linear A is written in. Like, even Not if we clue. sort of work together the, like, even if we assume that the symbols are quote-unquote pronounced the same way, that doesn't tell us what language they're speaking. Yeah. Um, There's actually some some recent developments in figuring out how to get more of a handle on Linear A. Um, some university professors somewhere basically put a whole bunch of things into a database and let uh, mm. the internet and you know, big computer data processing kind of figure it out. And they were able to find some some patterns to get a sense of repeated characters, some some syllable uh, patterns. But even still, we, we're still not any closer to reading it. We understand it more than we did, that's for sure. But it's mm. it's still not deciphered yet, and it'll probably be a long time before it is. And that's not um, even touching if, on their other writing system. Yeah, that, the there's one also that's all symbols. <laughs> yeah, Cretan hieroglyphs is just completely, which is also written in spirals. Yeah, the one that's Why is it written spirals? in spirals? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I touched on that in the um, in the Minotaur ah. one because it's like, we've got Linear A. Linear A is like Linear B, but a little bit weirder. And then there's this, no correlation with anything else. Why is it like that? Why is it written like that? Why do they only do it in circles? What's going on? It's just, yeah. it's so spooky. I love it. And one of the things I liked about the video was just the way I structured it at the beginning where it's like the questions the Greeks would have been asking, like, where did our myths come from? Who came before us? Why does that island look like an impact crater? What's what's going on with that? Oh, God. It's, it's so weird. And it's such a mystery that just demands investigation, yeah, which yeah. makes it so compelling to figure out what the hell is going on over there. But what, what makes it even weirder... A little more intelligible, but a lot more weird is the way in which the memory of the Minoans, a distant, uh -huh. very confused, imprecise memory, persists into the classical period by way of myths, yeah. such as the Minotaur myth, which I addressed at length in the video, but also myths that I didn't touch on at all. Zeus and Europa. Zeus transforms into a bull yeah. uh, to capture Europa. Uh, and then their child on the island of Crete is King Minos. Mm -hmm. Also, Hercules slaying the Cretan bull. Also, actually a lot of other myths that involve bull things. I, I actually, okay, so that's a that's an absolute connection. I wonder what the, um, what the continuity, what the causality is. Because there are a lot of myths that tie Zeus to bulls. Um, and there's, there's a lot of gods that are specifically connected with specific animals. And Zeus and Hera are repeatedly compared or, uh, like, connected to or transformed into cows and bulls and similar. Uh, Hera's most common epithet in a lot of the, the epics is, uh, like, cow-eyed Hera, which doesn't sound like a compliment, but I think it it's... Sounds meaning... like an insult. It does, but I think it's supposed to mean that she's got, like, big, beautiful, dark eyes, you know? Uh, so that's something. So, like, Zeus and Hera have this cow symbolism, which is interesting because it's not universal. Like, as mentioned uh, in the Hades and Persephone thing, um, Poseidon and Demeter and a few other gods have more horse symbolism. And yeah. I don't know how far you can read into that without getting into sort of woofty, speculative, you know, who the hell knows. But it is interesting, and we do know that in the very earliest versions that we have of the, the ancient Greek religion... There were a lot more animals involved. I mean, you know, Pan and other goat-related gods, yeah. Arcadia, all over the place. So the question is, was Zeus being affiliated with bulls uh, simply a way that they explained how the Minoans existed? It's like, oh yeah, Zeus had like a fling on that island and now they're all obsessed with bulls. Or was it tying into some deeper connection of Zeus being affiliated with bulls? possibly something that the Minoans yeah. were drawing from in the you know this is yeah. this is like trying to put together a kaleidogram there's it's, there's no it's way to know what order it's in yeah it's absolutely impossible and another version on sort of on the opposite side is that um it's sort of a of uh, a pattern that uh if a god ever has a birthplace listed mm. um there's usually something to that either a, a sacred site an original place of worship or in some cases such as with aphrodite yeah she was born off the island of kithira which is where her worship from the phoenicians via astarte came to the greek world yeah. uh, and another interesting version of that is with the twins artemis and apollo who mm. 
have their sort of legendary birthplace on the islands of Delos and Mykonos, right next to each other in the middle of the, the Kiklades. What the hell is up with that? Like the yeah. twin paradigm is completely unheard of in uh, in in mythology to have fraternal twins, but to have two gods specifically born in the Aegean, a sun and moon pairing, could that be some like weird relic of like early Kikladic religion, which eventually uh, got filtered through Minoan and then kind of got co-opted into Mykonaean? Like there's so much thing. weird stuff with that that we just don't know. One thing, the sun and moon connection is late. Uh, Artemis and Apollo didn't start out that way, but they sort of gained more and more symbolism over the... Mm. So like when they start off in the Iliad, they're like, they're clearly new. Uh, they haven't really been established and they're on the side of the Trojans, which is interesting. Um, but within, I think by 400 BCE, they were uh, pretty consistently like Apollo was being correlated with the sun, Artemis with the okay. moon. They were starting to become more relevant. But uh, I, I, I did some research into this. I have notes, but nothing I can turn into a script yet. But uh, basically, it seems like the first thing they were was uh, Artemis was a, a, an instance of this archetype, the mistress of animals. And sometimes she has a male hunting companion, and that was probably the origin for Apollo. Um, mm. so their hunting association is probably the earliest thing, but Apollo's like eight different gods stacked in a trench coat and Artemis yeah, is okay. weird <laughs> as hell. So it just keeps getting weirder. But that connection and making them twins from the outset, that is weird. And their birthplace, there was a whole thing about that. I won't go into it, but it was like, she, uh, their mother was cursed by Hera. So she couldn't give birth like on land or on sea. So it's like, well, uh, Zeus makes a floating Island that she can give birth on that doesn't technically count or something like that. Yeah. So that means something, but what? Ooh. Yeah, I, and this is this is one of the the interesting parts of the how many times can I say the word interesting? This is one of the um, complicated uh, aspects of dealing with this part of Greco-Roman, really just Greek culture, uh, <laughs> is the formative aspects where it's like, where do these things? come from where are these deities actually from why do they exist in the way they do and that's like that's the whole point of the deep dives is yep. which one of like six different sources could this possibly be and this is all before we have any records of anything so it's like ah, ah. and it's fundamentally unknowable yeah but it's so fun to play around with yeah. and to think about that it becomes really exciting and the minoans are a great filter for that uh to try and understand what's you know what might be the cause of it because we have almost a lot with them but then we still don't have anything solid to go on so the closest thing we have to stories about them are these mythological narratives so we yep. try to you know squish <laughs> them around pull them apart see where we can find the seams yeah but it's just it's it's confusing and it's weird and it cries out to be analyzed, which makes it so fun. The, the Minoans are like, they're so close yet so far. They're contemporary with so mm -hmm. many things we know about, but they're just like, it's rare that we see something falling through the cracks of history. Usually by the time it's gone, we don't know it was there in the first place. But with the yeah. Minoans, I mean, for thousands of years, that was the case with the Minoans. We didn't know yep. they existed until the 1900s. All we had was the story. It was just, yeah. oh, there's, yeah, something or other on Crete, yeah, you know, whatever. And then someone went and dug and was like, holy hell, I found the <laughs> labyrinth! So, you know, yeah. that guy's for, mind must have been blown. Yeah, the, we'll, we'll talk about this more when we get to the Mike and Ains video, but for all the crap that people give Heinrich Schliemann well-deserved, his, <laughs> his big innovation was, if I go to the place where the story is talking about and I dig will I find stuff like if I go to where Troy roughly is <laughs> I'll find th like I have to find things there and he did and it's like oh my god and it just opens up a whole layer of like wait obviously the myths like as written are not accurate they're myths about gods and monsters fighting on battlefields and whatever all kinds of nonsense sure right. but like the the core of these stories being based in something and the idea that like all of these weird details are there for some reason or another mm -hmm. really opens up the culture in ways that you know previously it's just oh it's a story it's made up okay sure yeah, but it's a lot I... more interesting when you investigate it and try to find out what aspects of it are actually true what's actually pulling on something yeah. It's really neat. Which is a difficult balance to strike because sometimes yes. it is just there for funsies or because it was weird or because it was a translation error or whatever. Or just because some bard was like, I'm going to spice this one up. But there's usually something to it somewhere. Not yeah. everywhere, but somewhere. Yeah. I, I don't want to be like, all myths have a grain of truth because that could be interpreted so badly. But it's like, sometimes it's worth checking, you know? Yeah, yeah. If they give you but... the latitude and the longitude, you may as well dig a little bit, see if exactly. there's anything cool. 
So, anyway. so that was fun. More more on that to come. I'm yep. looking forward to getting through the rest Always. of the Greek stories. Cool. But um, on the subject of, of deities and stuff, we've got mm-hmm. uh, a couple plugs to get through. First of all, uh, our 2021 pins, starting from Hades and Persephone up through Dionysus, are still on sale until the end of the year, uh, December 31st. Then we'll go dark for a bit. Um, if you haven't gotten them, go get them. We, we bother you about it now because we get so many emails in the middle of the year like, I missed the pins. Like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. They were on sale and now they're not. Yep. Um, so if uh, if you missed them, uh, last call on those. Um, yep. And uh, we'll have some more uh, next year. We, we've got some ideas. We're very excited. But that's that on the pins for now. Mm-hmm. We also uh, read, yes. uh, you I, I think should, uh, should announce this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a uh, brand new thing that I'm extremely excited about. We've had this one on the back burner for like two years. I want you yeah. all to know how remarkably patient i've been about not (laughs) spilling the beans on this one uh but yeah uh we uh we partnered up with uh this uh indie toy maker doomco designs uh who basically reached out and was like hey i really like your sun wukong design can i turn that into a toy for you and i was like yes please (laughs) so that's uh that's gonna be a thing it's it's currently open for pre-order um once the once the molds are made uh it it says on the site they're planning on trying to get them shipped out at the end of like quarter two of 2020 so like june or july so it's gonna be a hot minute but once the mold exists we can just make more shiny colorways and like fancy versions and i'm really excited about that uh and i can always draw more facial expressions for him so this is gonna be fun uh yeah so that's really cool we're gonna have a link in the show notes we've got links in the in the latest little divines bonus video um and uh, I announced it on a community tab. So you can find the link if you want to grab uh, one of the four different current colorways, or you can get all of them, should you so desire. Uh, yeah. I'm unlike yeah, uh, unlike the pins, these ones are pretty much going to be just in stock yes. one way or another. But, but if you're listening to this years down the road, they might be in a different color from what we originally offered it as. But these toys, one way or another, will always be available. So yeah, uh, yeah. there will always be something uh, that you can... Uh, can get we'll experiment with with translucence and you know maybe some some, some glowy pigments and fun ah. like metallics and things and, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll, we'll see we'll see yeah. what, uh, what people are excited for but and if you're curious um, about his process uh the uh the creator behind doomco designs has an instagram where he sometimes posts like behind the scenes videos because part of his thing is that he sculpts the uh the model for the toys in virtual reality which is cool because you can record that. Uh, so he's just got a lot of his behind-the-scenes process stuff. He also has a ton of, like, vinyl, like, tardigrade toys, which are extremely cute. So Tarvis the tardigrade Tarvis is the tardigrade. Uh, all the colorways. If, if you want to get a look at uh, a sneak peek at what the future of the Sun Wukong toy might look like, you can look at that, which is basically the same mold but has been released in so many different limited colorways in the last <laughs> several years. So, yeah, I'm really excited for this. I think it is absolutely bonkers that something i drew will physically exist in the world soon (laughs) um as a toy that's insane uh and i haven't fully processed it so i hope you're all excited as i am uh if you're interested in snagging one check out the link and you know stay posted we will be uh this is a this is not like the pin runs it's not going to be like here for a week and then gone it's like mentioned it's going to be here and it's going to be an evolving situation because once you have the mold new colorways are just pretty simple so yeah you just pour it yeah (laughs) yeah so um aside from that uh two fun different merch things uh we also at the end of the year Mm -hmm. uh we are not Mm -hmm. doing a main video uh on our last uh friday of december because uh it was gonna be a me video i am too tired i've already put out two videos this month that's enough what we're gonna (laughs) do instead is uh we're going to uh blatantly rip off uh our our good friend hello future me uh and do a fun group charity stream except instead of 24 hours it's gonna be a much more manageable seven yeah yeah so much more reasonable yeah uh you know um (laughs) i'm not complaining We'll, we'll be streaming from uh, 11 a.m. EST, uh, 8 a.m. PST, usual usual video upload time, to uh, 7 p.m. EST, 4 p.m. PST, um, for, for eight hours playing uh, a game called The Pathless uh, mm. from the creators of Abzu and uh, 
Journey. from the yeah from uh part of the the creative team of journey who split off to make giant squid games who made abzu mm-hmm. uh we're gonna be playing that uh with you know a whole whole osp gang we'll also have tons of of special guests friends of the channel people who've been on uh, podcasts before uh we're gonna have a really fun uh assortment of people uh to jump in and, and chat and talk about all kinds of fun crazy things just a uh, lot of very cool people uh it's gonna be great we're gonna be raising money for unicef uh just to we're, we're kind of trying to maybe help with the whole vaccine distribution outside of the states because, like, you know, it, it's called a pandemic for a reason. And if we're not all okay, none of us are okay. So we're uh, we're going to see if we can help out with that. Uh, Blue's going to be doing most of the playing. I'll be uh, schmoozing with the guests, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> um, I've got the easy part. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're really looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. Uh, we're, we're also going to be taking January a little bit slow. We're still going to have uploads on Fridays, but they might be a little bit more, like, casual and, and a little more detailed. Yeah, heavy. little, little, little smaller videos. Yeah. Uh, got a city minutes, have, uh, a, a little, little antique antics short. Um, so, so still, still good content for you, but we... We're gonna need a break. Uh, we we worked really hard this year, especially <laughs> in the last couple months, to get you know two different merch things going, organizing the stream, having mm. a bunch of real 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 big videos coming out uh, yep. these past few months that it's have been a lot. taken a lot of effort and have been really great to create, but have, have quite quite thoroughly taken it out of us. So. We enjoy the creation process and we get a lot out of the art, but we do need to recharge. Yeah. So January is gonna be a little slow, but it's gonna happen. Yeah, if you're looking for a bit of a, a retrospective, we will be doing another of the OS Pod New Year's bonus uh, videos. So mm-hmm. we'll have a full bonus podcast that will go up um, on uh, January 1st uh, in video. Again, it'll be available on the channel in addition to all your regular podcast platforms of choice. <laughs> uh, and we'll just be doing a little retrospective and answering some some fun Q&As. Uh, it's going to offset the schedule a little bit. Um, Indigo might be able to explain a little better than I could, but we're, we're, we're going to have like this podcast and then like a week break and then this bonus podcast and then like break and then the like back to a regular regular yeah. upload cadence. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be fun. Look out for that. Uh, tune in December 31st at the regular upload time to hang out with a bunch of cool people on the stream uh, and support a very, very worthy and needed cause. And uh, we'll see you then. For now, uh, on to the Q&A. Yeah. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Futurist7451. To all, you are writing a book about your life. What is the title of that book and why? Philosophical Fridays, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I... I've, I haven't finished anywhere near enough of my life to know what the overarching theme is going to be, you know? Hmm. Uh, probably um, Pure of Astum of Heart, the Indigo story. You can find it on shelves this coming fall. I, no. I think you said it backwards, Indigo. Pure no, no, of no. Astum no, no. of Heart. No, no, no. This is for all the If After you were Dark familiar with the uh, After Dark <laughs> Deep lore, you'd know that this is now Indigo's bit. Uh, yes. To, yes, to I'm mix committing to the bit, as <laughs> yeah. it were. Oh, okay. Actually, commit yeah. to the bit would be a pretty good title for a book yeah. uh, about yeah. my life. <laughs> commit to the bit, the indigo story. Commit to the bit, yeah. the indigo story. Yeah. IDK, man, I just live here. Red's adventures through time. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we're all uh, very like taking a very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy approach here. Kind of a reverent uh, t- titling. I expected nothing else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd rather be in Venice, the blue story. <laughs> <laughs> you and that Incredible. one king. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, that was a, a little fun one that's been sitting in the queue for a while that I wanted to, to plow through. Uh, well, in a completely different direction, this question comes from Radishing Lad. All, you're releasing OSP ugly holiday sweaters. What patterns or objects will you include to achieve ultimate tackiness? That's funny. We were actually asked if we wanted to do that, and we said no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we have to think it over anyway. Uh, I think I gotta, I gotta stick with my brand, and I gotta cover my sweater in dogs. Nice. But like, no nice. two dogs the same, so there's no coherent pattern. It's just like mm-hmm. completely wild. This would be the Perfect. worst thing in the world to have to knit, which is why I'm not yeah. gonna inflict it on anybody. But like, 
yeah, I guess that's it. Like a Where's Waldo of dogs, but just on a sweater. Yeah, my my version of that would be like a little a little Cleo sweater with a bunch of different <gasps> like like Cleo sleeping patterns. Some are like more realistic, some are more like stylized. Um, again, I don't really want to turn my cat into like yeah. merch on a on a on an ugly sweater. We've been having this that... discussion. Yeah, so I, 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 I still don't think I'd go date. for it, but. But, like, gun to my head, yeah. Cleo sweater. Cleo <laughs> sweater. Oh, uh, I think the funniest thing you can do for an ugly holiday sweater is to make a sweater for entirely the wrong holiday. Like an Arbor Day sweater, you know? <laughs> like, I just think that, like, a just a bunch of trees or you're, like, 4th of July and just knit a bunch of fireworks onto it. But in, the like, that Ooh. typical pattern that you see for all of the merch, um, for, like, not all the merch, all the ugly holiday sweater looks... Uh, I think that is the funniest bit you could do is to roll up to like a Christmas or a Hanukkah party wearing an Arbor Day sweater. But that might be a very specific I, niche of. <laughs> that might just only be humorous to me. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm just being a, a killjoy, but I always thought the idea of of like ugly holiday sweaters are just fundamentally wasteful. Mm. It's like it's something stupid mm. that you only wear for one holiday. It's like I get it. Like people are allowed to get like you know joke articles of clothing, but I don't know. It always just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't. I don't know if there's anything more to it, but I just like <laughs> eh. Why, why deliberately wear something stupid, you know? Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. Also, like, I, I respect that knitting is a very important art form in terms of the history of, you know, textiles and such. But I've never met a sweater I liked, you know? It's just, it's too oh, too sweaters. chunky, too poofy. Especially the ones that are like, sweaters. well, you know, the ones that are like closed all the way around that don't have like any kind of, you know, buttons or fastening or no cool way that you can wear them kind of open. Then it's just like, hello, I would like to look like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man today. <laughs> No, thank you. I like sweaters, and I think that ugly sweaters are fun because you can wear them for more than one day, but, uh, you know, to each their own. Yeah. I wonder how badly we're going to get put on blast for for our anti-sweater stance. (laughs) OSP denies uh, winning holiday tradition uh, of ugly sweaters. New new content discussion. Sweaters canceled, question mark? Uh, jeez. Excellent. Alrighty, let me just, I lost my screen. Man, th- th- this was this was one yikes that? after another yikes with these questions. <laughs> yeah, hey, could you discuss... I, well, uh, you know, I, I didn't think the sweater question was going to be a yikes to me. That, that is fair, that is fair. You had no way of knowing that. I, I feel kind we of guilty for, for, for me having, having steered this in such a way. No, but, no, it's all oh good. Oh, well. Um, this next question comes from Ruby Key. To all, any favorite holiday traditions or activities? Halloween. All of it. <laughs> I, I, you guys gotta understand. I have no emotional investment in Christmas as an institution. I am not from a very Christmassy family. We do Christmas stuff on Christmas, but it's more like you can't really do Christmas stuff any other day of the year. So it's like, oh, we're gonna make a whole bunch of sugar cookies. We're gonna look at the snow and drink hot chocolate and watch Die Hard. You know, I could do those any other day, but it's special on Christmas because everybody's doing it. That's the extent of my emotional investment in it. Yeah. For me, I'm I'm more of a like spirit of the season kind of thing more than like specifically Christmas. Like growing up, childhood divorce, I'm used to splitting the holidays, so I don't have any strong like mm. tradition associations of like, oh, if it's not this one thing, it's not Christmas. But like, yeah. if if I'm walking around outside and there's string lights on the trees, I'm happy. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah. I think that string lights should be a non-seasonal thing. I think we need them more. I think they would look great on like spring trees with actual leaves. Just imagine the light filtering through like the sort of oh, yeah i think it would be great you know like string lights are important in winter because without it everything kind of looks like ass but like consider it would also pretty up regular nice seasons yeah the problem is that with the regular nice seasons there's more daylight so the the string lights are only useful for like a, a smaller subset of uh of the of the clock like I get your point. Yeah. But like I can imagine like some some guy in the city budget office like, oh, you want me to keep the string lights up when there's only six hours of night in summer? No way. No. Yeah. You get get back to the accounting bureau, buddy. You're out of here. <laughs> kind of related to that though. I really like decorating the tree as far as traditions go, but I also have a very intense system for how to light it properly. That is not uh, insignificantly informed by my limited training in grip and electric departments on sets. Um, hmm. You have to really have a system down for lights. You know, you got to bob and weave in and out of the tree so you get that glow from within and you hit the outer sides. It's a whole, it's a whole to-do. Um, I think I've ruined it for the rest of my family by taking it too seriously, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> uh, I but knew sort of a like guy. Jumping off uh, of... 
Yeah. Who would, um, uh, they would have to dispose of the Christmas tree every year, of course, because, you know, if you get a real tree, it's like a, it's a whole ass pine tree Mm -hmm. in your living room. Um, yes. And this was, a this was back in like high school. Uh, and what, what his family would do apparently is they would like take the tree to the point, uh, in one of the big fire pits and they would just (laughs) light it up and the whole thing would go Mm. up really fast, but like also really efficiently. And then they would clear out before the sirens arrived because it would basically be (laughs) like a, like a cedar explosion. Hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. Most wholesome people I know too. It's just like my Christmas big, celebration just, is we burn the tree. <laughs> let's just slap a big old "Do not try this at home" warning on that story and mark it as hilarious. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sort of related to all this season. Hey, talk, I didn't though. do it. Uh, related to all this, Trilobite asks to all best Christmas or winter seasonal food. I know that I think we might have stronger opinions on delicious meals than we necessarily do holiday traditions. Do you guys have any favorites uh, that you typically eat around this time of year or drink or what have you? Peppermint uh, hot cocoa is always a winner. Yeah, Ooh, true. Can't I go wrong with that. Mocha. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. recently figured out a really good way to make homemade caramel hot cocoa, and it is Ooh. great. Uh, it's cool. about uh, you got to mix the cocoa powder in with the caramel sauce before you add any liquid, because getting the cocoa powder integrated into the liquid is the hardest part of making hot cocoa. Um, but once you do that, once it's already like in the in the caramel, which is already kind of a pseudo liquid, it blends so much easier. And then it, it also adds this real smoothness. So that's good. But I just made that up like a week ago, so I don't know if it counts. Um, mm, I mean, it's tasty. Has science gone too far? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I like a lot of yeah, soups and stuff around the holidays. My family does the Feast of the Seven Fish because we're uh, Italian-American oh. like that. Mm. Uh, but we don't do it very traditionally. So it, like, but, like the big foods I look forward to, we do like a bacala stew that's really good. There's always some sort of like pasta situation going on. But uh, it's usually just whatever uncles bring whatever fish make it that year rather than going by like whatever <laughs> the traditional setup is. So we always seem to acquire some sort of like crab leg situation. Uh, one uncle lives in like center city Philly and every single year brings a sushi platter and it's great. Um, we can Honestly, we knock out like I, I, five of the fish that way. <laughs> I think like the like deliberately non-traditional feast of the seven fish is one of the most fun ways to have so fun. a like inclusive assortment of fish so that like if anyone yeah. has like, like cuisines they prefer or like any dietary restrictions, it's not like, oh, like. If, you know, if you hate this kind of fish, you're totally screwed. Like, hmm. you got some of this fish, you got some of that fish. I honestly, like, the way to celebrate Feast of the Seven it's Fish is to just so go wild fun. and go as far afield as you possibly can. We usually have hey, more audience. than seven fish, the but there's no pressure on like any me, one person don't know what they're <laughs> to, to bring that about. fish. Oh, Solidarity, so the Feast bro. of the Seven Fish, uh, the way that my family celebrates it is on Christmas Eve. It's basically just a Christmas Eve party. Um, and it's a big thing in a lot of Italian-American families. So you all get together and you're supposed to have like a big dinner and you're supposed to eat a s- seven fish of some kind. Some people, uh, mm. we the, the traditional one that we eat is bacala, which is like a white, white fish of some kind. Uh, we make it in a stew. It's often served um, salted, what have you. Uh, I don't really necessarily know any of the traditional lore behind it because, again, my family does this uh, very fast and loose. But, um, yeah, it's basically a big dinner party where you eat seven fish of some kind. Um, huh. But I, I like our non-traditional version because I do think that it, it's it's less pressure right before the holidays. So you can really just focus on going and having a good time. And it means that for my tastes, we get some of the food that I really like. Someone always brings some cannoli, you know, we always get all that John, all that John going. Yeah. And <laughs> I, you know, I like the bacala stew, but if that was the, the taste of all the fish, it'd be a little disappointing. It's always fun to see the sushi platters show up. The yeah, you gotta have variety. Hit, you know? But- yeah, Red, to explain a little bit more, I pulled up the Wikipedia page. The <laughs> oh, Feast of the yes. Seven Fish, or Festa dei Sette Pesci, uh, is an Italian-American Christmas Eve celebration <laughs> based on the fact that Christmas Eve is a fasting vigil day, so you oh. have to abstain from meat. So oh. instead, instead of, oh, like, why. not eating a ton, <laughs> you just fucking load up on fish, yeah. which technically <laughs> adheres to the rule of it being a, like, a vigil, like, you know, fasting day. Mm-hmm. But since you're only fasting for meat, you can have all the fish you want, which is hilarious. That's very funny. <laughs> yeah. like a way of rules laying your way out of a fast day. The, yeah. Say what you will about the Italian-Americans, but if there's one thing we're good at, it's improvising our way around food. <laughs> Sign would like you to know that only the land animals have sinned. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, in the, anyway, in the that's vicinity that. of Christmas, my dad always makes a big dinner of homemade Chinese food, which is nice. my favorite in joke he has with himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We would order, but we don't have to. He likes cooking. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah you know it's it's a nice tradition and it's a good way to get i I love the food that's like my favorite uh eating based holiday of the year a uh, second place honorable mention to the greek version of easter festivities but that's not the topic for today let's move on to some questions <laughs> that yeah. we got to here on this list um this one comes from al to all if you could add your own monster into greek mythology what mix of human and or animal parts would it have what would it be able to do, and what might it be called? Feel free to add your own lore, but your creation doesn't need to exist. Uh, doesn't need to change existing stories. So let's create some Greek uh, homunculi up in here. I I, th- I think since it's specifying Greek, we have to do like like animal hybrids, yeah, like you know, head of this, body of that, because otherwise it's just yes. like like that's really like the vibe of Greek monsters is like random pieces smushed together in the hope that it's menacing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, okay, look, everybody likes joking about the reverse mermaid, but I would like to propose a much more horrifying alternative, the reverse satyr. Oh, (laughs) Oh, no. Legs of a human, body and head of a goat. (laughs) Go goat. Still bipedal, but like, (laughs) yeah. Kind of in that same vein, body of a human, head of a horse, just do the reverse centaur. No, I mean, everyone knows the reverse centaur. That's just a That's guy like that, that Tomska bit with, with the horse mask. mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I believe I technically it. to make it a really reverse centaur, it would be the body of a human and the head of the front half of a horse. Like, <laughs> otherwise, it's not fair, like, you two know. Horse legs instead of arms. Yeah. <laughs> it's still exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's the I love gist. It. Um, I feel like a bird I mean, hybrid no would be a fun way well. to go. I don't know what bird, though. Like, Blue, you've been to Greece. What are some animals that are frequently spotted in Greece? Fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, 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 obviously, Fish. yeah, but, like, like mountain goats are, are a huge thing. You don't see it a lot. It, like, kind of appears as, as part of the chimera. Did we just reinvent the time-traveling goatfish? Is this all <laughs> tying back? We can't. We no. can't bring back my old nemesis. No, no, no time-traveling goatfish here, but, like, the goat is a very, you know, common animal that you'll see in the hills of Attica and the Peloponnese. I, I'm trying to think of what we could do to it to make it more interesting for a mythological purpose because yeah like i said the chimera like the goat is not the main feature of that it's you know the head of a lion and the tail of a snake is what people remember the goat head just kind of gets a little lost in there yeah so i i'd imagine like let's say like body of a goat slap some wings on it because why not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then like (laughs) like a Bullhead? I'm just I'm just grasping oh, for ideas weird. at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing is, uh, we peaked with my reverse satyr idea, and we're not going to yes. beat it because there's nothing more horrifying than the malice of a goat with the legs of a man. <laughs> I do think like um, goat's body, fish head could be fun. I just think it'd just be a little scary. Like thinking like you walk up to a stream, you see a goat drinking from the stream, you think, oh, what a natural setting. And then it picks up its head and turns at you and it's just two fishy eyes staring in opposite directions. Another alternative, another version of that could be like a goat octopus, which is a a marine animal, but with horns. Oh no. So it's not like as big or as dangerous as like, like the Scylla or Charybdis. It'd be like a, like a smaller scale threat, but like they like hunt in packs. Yeah. And since they're like the base is an octopus, they're really smart, but also they can swim really fast and charge you and like ram you through. It's like a scarier version of a shark. I think that if I were like, a Greek sailor, and I like I, I was you know I was used to dealing with sirens, and you know we we steered around Charybdis that one time. But if I looked down and there was like an octopus with a goat face slowly scooching its way up the side of the ship, I think I'd go full Lovecraft crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's my answer. Like, the goat octopus. That's my answer. Uh, I love that because I'm picturing like a like Pixar style movie about like a fisherman and this goat one goat octopus who just have a very tom and jerry relationship to each other uh the small monster just has so much potential for humor in it the the Mm. fisherman keeps coming back with larger and larger ships and bigger crews to try and kill this thing and just can't do it 
Like he comes back, like the the climactic battle is he shows up with the entire Athenian navy, and (laughs) this one thing like brings its friends, and they just destroy an entire fleet of triremes like it's no. Yeah, they just do that thing you do in like a circular pool where everyone moves in the same direction really fast to try and make like a whirlpool, but Mm -hmm. in the yeah Mediterranean. I mean, really, regular octopi are already kind of terrifying enough. Mm -hmm. I don't like that Mm -hmm. they can basically shape shift, so you know. Yeah, no, I love all of these monsters. Um, I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I want fan art on my desk by Monday. Uh, (laughs) This next question comes from Crimson Plays. Two red and indigo. Any chance of getting some info on your character for rolling with difficulty? Just listen to the trailer and I'm hyped. P.S. Will it be on Spotify? Yes, it's actually already on Spotify and you can go listen to the trailer there and save it if you would like to. There are no episodes, I should clarify, just the trailer, but it's, it's there. You can find it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, the Rolling with Difficulty Twitter has been posting little, like, character bios of um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who everybody is, which is cool. But uh, uh, my character is a uh, a monk, a Way of the Astral Self monk. Uh, she's pretty new to the planescape. She's, she's one of them prime material plane people who uh, has very mm-hmm. little experience with the, the outside dimensions, which is good. I think every story needs a fish out of water to really serve as the, yeah. the audience surrogate. Uh, and she's just <laughs> having a good time. Uh, we do love we do love our fish out of water uh, monk I think uh, her name is Kiana and uh, yeah. she really gives us a good a good chance to play off of the more Target experienced characters <laughs> yes unfortunately um, for Red I do play a uh, artillerist artificer fire genasi which means I do a lot of area of effect um, my character's name is Danny she's like the ship's mechanic uh, sort of a street teen from the city of Brass, um, maybe the only non-good aligned member of the party, and <laughs> uh, she's just really tied to the ship and keeping it functional and hanging out with the crew and having a good time. Uh, I, I really wanted in to just play. In our first meeting, um, she shot a crossbow at my face. Yes, in in the efforts of reeling her in from floating in the astral sea, but you know, potato, potato. Uh, <laughs> do I do unfortunately hey, Kiana a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, that, oh, it's uh, all that AOE uh, effect. It's like I'm a monk. I can't not punch things. I I gotta get all up in there. It's like, oh, cool. Well, I'll just hit it with this fireball. <laughs> fireball, just fireball. Yes. Yeah. Fireball. Uh, when I was picking up my spells, artificers prepare spells, which means that you could theoretically change them out every single day if in game time. Um, but I don't like thinking that much, so I've just chosen all my spells, and that's what I'm sticking with for the rest of the campaign. Uh, so anything that had fire in the name is on Danny's spell list now. Um. Fire, flame, burning—that's it. I only do fire damage, but uh, you know, those are two of the four uh, crew members on the ship that we're sailing on in this podcast. The Spelljammer, the Peraspera—it's um, a good time. It's going to be available on all major podcasting platforms. And the first episode premieres January seventh, so if you want to catch it, that's where you can find it. And uh, you know, there's—we'll put some links to the the um, socials in the show notes below. Yep. But I, I like I like Red's character a lot, so I, I hope all of you guys yeah. too, because I've had a lot of fun experiencing the world through her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, just, I think we have time for about one more question before we wrap up here. Let me just scroll through our list of questions. I once again lost my spot. All right, this question comes from Gluten-Free Peppermint Mocha to all. Because I want you to suffer and have them stuck in your head a month early. I think this question was posted in November. What are your favorite uh, Christmas carols? Um, I Hilariously, I lost, uh, Sign and I lost Whamageddon super early because we were at a, we were at oh, a yeah. dance um, showcase uh, for, for the place where, where, where we do dance, uh, and someone for their performance had Wham's Last Christmas, and about 20 seconds in, Sign and Beautiful. I realized... Shit, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but really, the strategy with Wham again is just listen to it early, and then you have the whole two months to just enjoy yeah, it. But for uh, me, I was gonna say that's maybe my favorite song. So I I lose Wham again yeah. point blank every single year by choice. <laughs> that one's great. Yeah. Um. I I really like um a lot of like the the real like singy Christmas songs. Like a lot of the poppy ones are like okay, there's not a lot of like singing to do here. It's a lot like a lot of the weights on the instruments. But mm. having done a cappella choir for the four years that I was in high school, like our big event was doing like Christmas carols around like like town hall, the old folks' homes and stuff like that and and singing for like the kiddos in the lower school and things. So like we had like all of 
everything we did was leading up to like the the holiday season where we'd sing our songs and the one that i loved is oh holy night is such a good song to just sing because there's Mm. just so much like melody you just get to belt it it's so so good all those all those notes when they just work together it hits just so so nice it's great. Oh, Holy Night's the best. It's so enjoyable to say. I would propose that the uh, the best Christmas songs are all the ones from Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, true, true. The straight banger that Very it is. Very true. Um, yes. <laughs> Honorable mention to the Sesame Street Christmas special, which also features a few banger songs in a similar vein. Mm. Yes. Um, I have personal beef with Frosty the Snowman. I think it's the worst of all of them. But uh, outside of that, you know, Wham's Last Christmas is a classic. Uh, the Bare Naked Ladies have a weirdly good Christmas song, uh, Elf's Lament. It's like a union drama, but also it's festive because it's about uh, the huh. elves of the North Pole. This is just a plug to go listen to a Bare Naked Ladies song, I guess. <laughs> but I think Red is correct in that the best songs are the ones in the Muppet Christmas Carol overall. They're just straight bangers. It feels like Christmas, iconic. Yeah, of course. Um, and also the whole the, the whole intro villain song about Scrooge. Ooh, absolute yes. winner. Um, oh man, I'm I'm totally blanking. There's a bunch of others. Uh, I gotta give an honorable mention to Weird Al's "The Night Santa Went Crazy" just because the the mm. melody is really good. And that <laughs> I'll admit it's not necessarily the most seasonally spirited one, but um, you know it it sounds nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like Christmas songs that have a little bit of a a little bit of an out of seasonality to them sometimes. I think it helps break up the more of the standards. Um I again I think in uh, terms of classic plug... Christmas songs, uh the one that yeah, I actually please. like is Over the River and Through the Wood. It was the one that actually mm. felt kind of like cool and just just, you know, nice and exciting and that would be cool. I would love to take a sleigh to grandma's house for Christmas. Um <laughs> oh, it is important to distinguish between that like a Christmas song. Like uh, well, what else would it be? I don't know. I guess I've never only ever heard the verse where they go over the water, over the river, and through the woods to grandmother's house. We go, and then I don't know any of the other lyrics. So I guess in my head uh. that could take place any travel situation. <laughs> Interesting. Mm, I guess. I, I think it's important to distinguish between like like the old choral classics and like the modern mm-hmm, like pop mm-hmm. Christmas songs, where mm. you can kind of do whatever you want, and if it's like if you're singing about something festive, it's a Christmas song. But like yeah. the real classics that like that just ooze Christmasness are real, real special yeah. and fun. Yeah, I mean the yeah, real I winner is a uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra's Carol of the Bells. Oh, you know. true. Christmas yeah, Eve in Sarajevo about the horrible uh, post-dissolution uh, of Yugoslavia conflict. Yeah, classic. <laughs> oh, is that what that oh. is? Yeah, it's about Christmas in Sarajevo when the entire country was getting bombed by the Serbians. Well, uh, the, well, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra one doesn't have words, so it's okay. <laughs> and car dealerships love using it this time of year for some reason. They do. Yeah, like, it's actually, like, look up what's theme. going on in the background of that song. Like, the reason it's such a banger is because it's about armed conflict. That explains why it's so huh. dark compared yes. to Christmas songs. It's like, oh, this is a very minor key for something about bells. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's so fun. It's so energetic. It's like heavy metal care of the bells. Like, it is so morbid if you actually know why it sounds like that. Yeesh. <laughs> Huh, well, that makes you think. Um, yeah, a lot of the OSP holiday playlist is varied and covers many <laughs> topics. But uh, I think that's, we're coming up on time. So, Red, are you are you ready to take us out? Are you No, but I did want to mention Run DMC's Christmas in Hollis uh, because oh, they played it in Die good. Hard and they recently played it in Hawkeye. <laughs> once again, affirming that Hawkeye is just Die Hard but Avengers. Um, mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, this episode of the OzPod. As mentioned, our next episode is going to be the, the New Year's bonus thing, and then the schedule is going to be a little bit hinky for a little while, and then we're going to get back uh, in the New Year with regular stuff. Uh, Just a couple regular... break weeks, really, yeah, is yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, it's not that weird, but like, we I don't need remember to the details. Rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see, as mentioned, you know, uh, pins are up until December 31st. Get them while you can, and then, you know, they'll be gone for a while. Uh, the vinyl toy, on the other hand, will be available uh pretty much forever so check that out uh should you so desire it let's see um oh yeah uh tune in for the stream december 31st uh donate to a worthy cause it'll be a lot of fun we're hoping um and stay tuned for other fun videos coming in the new year uh because we're not really taking a week off we're just doing different things for friday yeah we're just having Um, you know some (laughs) some lighter videos for a bit but that's okay it's uh a yeah it's all about keeping that 
uplifting. Taking breaks is important, and it's yeah. easy to not do that when you're used to, you know, having a every Friday upload that you got to hit. But you know, <laughs> we're we're still gonna hit it. But like, we're gonna we're gonna be a little bit self care about it. Yeah, yeah, just a, just a little, you know, bundle <laughs> up nice, get some hot cocoa in your system, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. Until next time, I've been red. I've been blue. This has been an overly sarcastic podcast. See you in the new year. That was pretty. That was actually pretty nicely done. I'm, I'm proud of you, Red. You've really improved oh, this well, year. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely just don't have the energy to come up with too much weird shit. <laughs> <laughs>Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We're taking a bit of an extended end-of-year break, but we will be back on January 12th with another standard episode, and we will have a very fun New Year's Eve bonus episode available in both audio and video form on YouTube and all regular podcast platforms on January 1st. If you miss us before then, feel free to head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord to leave a question for future episodes, or check us out on YouTube at Overly Sarcastic Productions and on Patreon to support the podcast and channel. If you enjoyed the show, please like us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And from all of us here at OSP, have a happy new year.